G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking about the silencing of the lambs, wokeism and cancel culture's attack on Christianity in Australia. The three guests joining us through this hour ahead, Greg Bondar, who is familiar to regular listeners through his role with Family Voice Australia. Uh, Greg, a special welcome along to 2020. Oh, delighted to be here on this day, Neil, so thank you. <laughs> also joining us, the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, the Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. Peter, welcome back to 2020. Uh, thank you, Neil. Good to be here. And to Etienne McClintock, who works with the Voice of the Martyrs, an advocate for the persecuted church around the world. Etienne, welcome along. Good morning again, Neil. Good to be with you. Let me start with you, Greg Bondar. The silencing of the lambs, wokeism, cancel culture. Some people don't necessarily understand those terms, even though they keep hearing them. I wonder if you could let us in on just some of the definition that we might be talking about today in what's discussed in your new book. Oh, now, look, it, uh, I'd be delighted to share all that Um the problem we have is that wokeism and cancel culture, as you would well know, has different meanings for different people. But essentially, Neil, you know, wokeism is a virus. It, 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 in a sense, it is a, 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 a body of thought that aims to discredit, ridicule, criticise, undermine anything in the realm of Christianity. In effect, wokeism is incompatible with a biblical worldview. The reason I started to write this book in conjunction with these wonderful authors that I that I uh, worked with was Voltaire made a statement, Neil, and he said, to learn who rules over you, find out whom you are not allowed to criticise. And that is the stage we have reached now, Neil. We are not allowed to speak out. We are being criticised and wokeism as you know, is a traditionally a Marxist-inspired movement. And generally now, it, it, it's telling us that it is a full attack on Western civilization. Neil, so that's the reason why we need to look at it. It's, it's attacking our children's books, health, media, military, entertainment, and now the church as well. Neil, so it's a basically a form of criticism that does not allow Christian worldview. <laughs> Well, Greg, there are a lot of people who are hearing this terminology and we're hearing about cancel culture when it comes to the culture wars and left and right as well. There's a sense here in which Christians might feel like, well, maybe we just stand on the sidelines and watch what's happening. But there's a effect here on Christians and the church and Christianity as a whole. What are your thoughts on this woke-ism that affects the church? Well, this is interesting because, see, wokeism generally seeks to destroy, destroy all norms, to redefine words, to destroy the objective science, to create a Marxist utopia, so to speak. What's happening now is now that the church cannot speak out. If people think that the culture war or wokeism 
and its cancel culture friend is not going to buy the Christians, the church, Christianity, then they're in a false world because white people tend to consider themselves, you know, or purport to consider themselves as victims. Unfortunately, we are not allowed to say what we want. And while they're all about diversity, the problem with their diversity is that it's all on their side and we're allowed to speak out. So the church is under attack now, and this book makes it clear with the number of authors that we've had. So we really need to look at how do we, as Christians, make sure that we are not silenced in the public arena. Well, wonderful to have with us the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, who is Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church here in Australia. Peter, as you're hearing this sort of reflection, and as you've made your contribution to the book, you're describing Christianity under threat. So it's a matter of, you know, you can stand on the sidelines and watch, but it it affects Christianity, it affects your local church, it affects you in your own family. How do you describe this threat when Australians are wondering about it? it it'll affect Christians. Um, it'll affect everybody. It'll uh, affect the well-being and the flourishing of society too. And so it's not just here Christians defending their own territory. It's, it's much broader than that. Uh, so everybody is against the wall. And this is arbitrary. Um, it'll go down a certain track, so there's a certain logic to that, uh, but the outcome will not be good. Uh, yeah, it'll be increased authoritarianism, um, in, increased authority given to the state, which it, it should not have, uh, and uh, the eradication of freedoms, what we've been used to. Uh, now, freedoms can be misused, freedom's not an absolute, but... Uh, where a society can work, function in, you know, reasonably well in a civil way uh, requires some sort of foundation. We've lost that foundation now. Peter, when we talk about freedoms, and usually on this program we're talking about religious freedoms, but there's something there in religious freedom that undergirds uh, the rest of the freedoms that we have. And uh, you argue that You've got to have some freedoms of people to believe what they want to believe and to be able to say those things. Uh, otherwise, you've undermined the entire democratic system. How do you see the way our Christian faith and our freedoms are so important for our democracy? What I've argued in my chapter is this. So there is moral law and there is anti-discrimination law. And we have overthrown a Christian view of the moral law and we've almost absolutized anti-discrimination law. And we've put in that category uh, things that don't belong together. Uh, for example, uh, race, uh, gender preferences, sexuality, and so on. Uh, and th- th- some of those describe what people do, and some of them describe what just what people are. Uh, so they're two different categories that have been concertina together, and that has become the absolute uh, and it has meant what we've already seen. This is not prophecy. This is history. This has already happened. Uh, people getting into trouble uh, because they put a, a Christian view, for example, of sexuality or gender. And that is regarded now as offensive, as hate speech and, and uh, vilification and so on. Uh, and that's because uh, anti-discrimination law has trumped 
moral law. It's not built on a foundation of moral law. So we, we cannot argue that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. You can only argue now, people argue when something happens that oh, this is discriminatory. Well, you know, that, that's become the central point of law. And that's a very dangerous situation. So, Peter, moral law. Now, as Christians, we've got a fairly good, sound understanding of that because we come from a position of truth and we say that truth is revealed by God. But if that truth is silenced, uh, what's the outcome of that? Uh, My assumption is that it's chaos. Is that where we're headed if we don't somehow or other uh, be able to have the freedom to be able to put a position of truth? Well, somehow chaos and authoritarianism will go together. Uh, so it, it won't be a case of everybody does what's right in his own eyes in the Book of Judges. Uh, it'll be a case of coercion to keep society together. And, and so laws will become vague. Uh, anti-discrimination laws are by definition vague. But you, you, you don't know whether you've uh, transgressed or not. It, it's, uh, it's a, a tribunal that will tell you whether you had. Uh, It'll be the rule by lawyers rather than by law, because the law is vague, and so lawyers will have to decide. So you're in the hands of the lawyers. And sin will become a moving target. Uh, so now the transgender fad is what we're living through. Uh, guilt won't be objective. It'll be social. And, and there'll be no such thing as forgiveness, because... <laughs> There can't be. And it will make for an adversarial society. It sets up disputes. And the disputes have to be resolved by unelected tribunals, anti-discrimination boards. Let me come to... that's the way it works. Eddie and McClintock, uh, in your role with Voice of the Martyrs, a wonderful organisation and advocates for the persecuted church around the world, uh, you've got Australia in a certain context where you're seeing things going on around the world that we might even describe as that sort of chaos and uh, that sort of coercion that tries to keep people under control. I wonder if you've got some thoughts here on where this wokeism comes from and uh, what's fueling this cancel culture we're living in. Any thoughts from you, Edian? Yes, well, look, uh, we've always believed that God has given us a charter, a mandate to go and share the good news of the gospel with everybody and to bring the principles of heaven, the, the, the relationships between you know, male and female, the relationships between one another in society, and relationships within the church, and also the relationship that government sustains to, uh, to all human beings that it, that it uh, rules over. And unfortunately, when you look at these principles nowadays, there's a, a, a big move to shut down the principles as espoused in the scripture. So the constitution of heaven is shut down, and you can get that you know, in the Old Testament, you have the Ten Commandments, in the New Testament, you have the expansion of that. You have the Sermon on the Mount by Christ. But we are given a charter to go and make disciples of all men. And what the outcome of this is, is simply to shut down our witness for Christ. So as we look around the world at countries where there is persecution, whether it be through communism, whether it be through uh, Islam, whether it be through Hinduism or Buddhism, or whatever it may be, the main objective is always the same. And that is to shut down our witness for Christ and his truth. So really what we're looking at here is a spiritual battle. And uh, my contribution to the book, I actually look at uh, Revelation chapter 11, where you have a beast that ascends out of the bottom of the spit. And this beast actually 
ends up making war with God's two witnesses. So I identify in that chapter who the two witnesses are. I identify actually who the beast is and what the beast represents in, in prophecy. But the, the, the story goes in Revelation uh, 11 is that this beast actually makes war with God's two witnesses, overcomes them and kills them. And it talks about this war taking place in a, uh, in a city called the Great City. And the Bible in Revelation identifies that as Babylon, which represents confusion. And so what it does, it tells you that the characteristics of this great city where the two witnesses of God are slain for a short period of time actually has spiritually connections to Egypt and also to Sodom. Now, Sodom in the Bible was known for its licentiousness, for its laid-back lifestyle. They had plenty of time on their hands. But they were known for going after strange flesh, if you look at Jude chapter 1, verse 7. Then if you look at Egypt as well, this is a nation that enslaved God's people for about 400 years. Uh, we see there when God sends Moses and asks his people to be released, uh, the Pharaoh, the head of that uh, that ancient nation, says, who is Jehovah? I will not let Israel go. I don't know God, basically. So he's the first atheist we actually identify in Scripture. So we see that the principles there, the spiritual principles of a spiritual Babylon is that of licentiousness and that of atheism. And we see that in wokeism coming together. So you have the atheistic push against the Christian worldview. And then you also have this licentiousness which opposes anything that comes out of Scripture in regards to the ideals that God had put in place. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We are talking wokeism and cancel culture and the attack that comes on Christianity in Australia. A new book we're talking about, The Silencing of the Lambs, and three of the contributing authors are with us today. Uh, our special guests are Greg Bondar, uh, the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church in Australia, and Etienne McClintock, who works with Voice of the Martyrs. Greg Bondar, let me come back to you here. Uh, so far as this religious freedom issue and the attack on Christians that has been happening, there is an election coming. Is there some way that this connection can come to the parties we'll all be voting for in just a few weeks' time? Yeah, I think there is, Neil. Um, if, if you recall, the religious discrimination bill has been shelved um, at the moment for a number of reasons, but... In, in the book that I've edited, um, I've, I've got a wonderful quote from Kevin Andrews, MP, Federal Parliament, uh, whom you would well know, Neil, and he makes a comment which I think is critical as we approach the, uh, the election. And he says that the notion that religious freedom does not require any further legal protection because Australians are tolerant, easygoing people is an oversimplification. He makes the point very briefly that the freedom of religion includes the freedom to profess and by argument to maintain our opinions on matters of religion. In other words, he says that means that we should be free to speak in the public square, not just in the synagogue, the temple or the church. And this is critical. So we need to make sure that the religious discrimination bill needs to be reviewed, needs to come into force, and we need to make sure that as Christians we have a say in how that looks uh, as, as a final product now. <laughs> Greg, while we're talking elections, 
is this bigger than the election of parties? Uh, you know, the ability to maintain our opinions. Uh, we obviously will be looking to which candidates, which parties, which policies are being presented to us to be able to, uh, to, to vote according to our Christian conscience that says this is perhaps even the most important thing that we might vote about. Any thoughts here on the intersection of how uh, this issue works with the parties and their policies? Yeah, thanks. Now, look, I, I think really religious freedom is a foundation for Western civilization in a lot of ways. We've got to make sure that the people that are being elected, and I, and I keep saying, vote according to your Christian conscience. In other words, vote, vote for people that are going to ensure that your faith is protected. So that's the way I think it needs to be interpreted, Neil. And, and as I said, you know, this book aims to tell people that unless they get involved in the public arena, unless they understand how they're being cancelled and they're being threatened by this wokeism, being their, their jobs, their livelihood, that it's going to continue. So it's important that when they're voting, they vote according to a Christian conscience and a biblical worldview. Uh, come to the Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes. Peter, if we don't get this right, if it's not contained uh, by the party that wins government, if it's not adjusted to uh, allow that freedom uh, of expression here in Australia, what do you think the long-term consequences might be? I, uh, I'm less optimistic in a sense. I'm more optimistic because I'm a Christian, so I know, we know who's going to win. <laughs> Yep. To be on the right side of history, Christ is going to win. Uh, but on the way there, we, we're heading for turbulent seas. Bonhoeffer uh, in, in the 30s and 40s in Germany said, if you board the wrong train, it's no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. Uh, and we, we've boarded the wrong train. Uh, the wrong train is this acceptance of anti-discrimination law and the rejection of moral law. Now, that that describes Australian society now and so uh, to argue for freedom of religion is good and necessary but we have two competing freedoms so the for example the LGBTQI community will argue for freedom and Christians will argue for freedom and other people will argue for freedom of conscience uh, and those two must inevitably clash now in the Bible there was moral law laid down, you know, Ten Commandments already been mentioned, the, and the Sermon on the Mount, and the uh, parts and uh, Paul's epistles and so on, where he tells Christians how to live. So there's a moral law there, uh, and there's also a command not, not to be partial. And that's there in the Old Testament, and it's there in the New Testament. And impartiality sounds like a good thing, and it is, but impartiality in the Bible meant the law of God was applied to everybody. So uh, the prophet Elijah confronted Ahab uh, over Naboth's vineyard. The fact that Ahab was the king didn't mean that the king was over and above the law. The law of God is over and above the king. Uh, and so that's, imp that's an impartial application of God's law. When we talk about impartiality now or anti-discrimination, it sounds like the same thing, but it's not. It's very different because we don't have a moral law being applied. We have impartiality it, it, itself being the moral law. So anti-discrimination is 
what people stand for. And if somebody opposes that, that becomes a hate speech. So it's like 1984, Winston is told, you must love Big Brother. It's not enough to obey him. You must love him. So in this culture, Christians are sounding hateful because of the way the whole debate's structured and the, the decades that have gone before it that have brought us to this. So we're swapping freedom that is tried and true and proven uh, in understanding God and his moral law as a foundation for society, swapping that for an authoritarian way of trying to resolve disputes uh, in the courts. <laughs> so uh, yes. major major issues at hand. Let me ask you, Peter Barnes, you are one of our wonderful church leaders in Australia do any of the parties have the backbone to stand up to this woke cancel culture and uh, the ways you're describing the law and the way we need to look at it? I don't think so. Um, That doesn't mean they're all equal uh, and we've got to vote for somebody. Uh, So, you know, I'm not saying they're all as bad as one another, uh, but the... The, the farcical outcome to the religious discrimination bill, um, which, which, which was, uh, yeah, it, was, it didn't go very far, or in my view. It, it, it would have given some protection to Christian schools and uh, schools of faith. Uh, it didn't go much further than that, uh, I, I would think. Uh, but that was not acceptable to... Um, to the moderates, so-called moderates in the in the Liberal Party, and uh, yeah, City Point Christian College up in in Brisbane, uh, the the way the hysteria was whipped up against what it, it stands, and 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 we must say the Prime Minister joined in. Uh, that that was an indication that the the mentality of most is uh, yeah they're on the wrong train. Uh, and that doesn't mean they're in exactly the same spot, but it does mean that we've imbibed this whole uh, outlook and to say something like trans- transgender is wrong um, and uh, homosexual acts are wrong is not allowed. That sounds like hate speech. Let me come back to Greg Bondar here. Greg, you can hear how Peter Barnes is reflecting on the future here. Uh, he doesn't think uh, that there is any of our political parties who have the backbone to be able to stand up to this woke uh, cancel culture. Uh, he's saying, you know, what we're headed for is a time when uh, when anyone does stand up, there will be hysteria and uh, they'll be howled down and some use that terminology piled on. Uh, what are your thoughts here for the same sorts of things uh, as Peter is reflecting? Oh, Neil, I would never argue against Peter. It's far more... Uh, uh, knowledgeable than I in, in these matters. So, Peter, I value your comments. But let me just say that I think he's absolutely right. Uh, no government is going to take on wokeism or cancel culture. Neil, if corporates like McDonald's, Lego, Monopoly, uh, Barbie dolls and Australia's coon cheese, if they all go back and they've, they've now become cancelled or, or attacked for what they've done in the corporate arena... What a government's going to do? They're, they are going to go along with the general woke cancel culture uh, mentality. And for you know what, Neil? 
for a vote. And that is wrong. So I, I agree with Peter. I don't think either government's going to be able to address it. However, if I watch the developments overseas, and you only have to look at the United States where certain states, Texas, you know, and, and some of the other states there that are working, they are now fighting back and reversing all this cancel culture, wokeism, LGBTIQA mentality. In other words, the rainbow ideology is now being reversed. So there is hope. But I don't think currently in Australia either government can address it. <laughs> Eddie and McClintock from Voice of the Martyrs, uh, we were talking about a bit of a biblical, uh, theological foundation for where all of this change is coming from. How do you compare the sort of uh, morality that is being presented from the cancel culture woke uh, group uh, to the sort of uh, righteousness that is promoted by uh, by the religious community? Any thoughts here on a comparison? Yes, I can actually add to what Peter said before in regards to you know the separation of what they want to uh, its constant law and then also the principles of, of morality. And, uh, you know, we talk about social justice warriors in the, in the woke uh, movement, and uh, they're all about justice and equality and that, but it's not reciprocal because the way they view everything is through a prism of power, which is just cultural Marxism. And if you are a white cisgender male, especially if you are a Christian, you are the, uh, the person that has been the oppressor all through, uh, you know, history. And so you are by default guilty, even if the content of your character or even your behavior is very different to what they may suggest. But you are by default, because of the group you belong to, guilty. Now, although they use the word social justice warriors and that, it's actually not the same as the justice we find in Scripture. Because I have read some material recently where they actually, in Christian literature, they write and say, well, look, the social justice warrior movement is actually just the gospel movement without the spiritual components of it. But that is not biblical. And it's very clear when we look at uh, the, the, the Hebrew words in the Bible for righteousness or for justice that they are interchangeable. The word mishpat, for example, is used 421 times. It can be translated as righteousness or justice. Tadaka is used 157 times. Also can be translated justice or righteousness. To give you an example, just using Hebrew parallelism, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1 says, for example, See, a king will reign in righteousness, Sadaka, and a princes will rule with justice, Mishpat. Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness, Sadaka, and justice, Mishpat, are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to justice, you cannot separate that from morality. You cannot separate it from the, the principles of love as espoused in the Ten Commandments, as espoused in the New Testament and the teachings of Christ and the apostles. So what we see here is just another platform for people to shut down our witness for Christ. So I agree with the sentiments expressed previously. Where do we go from here? Can we recover? You know, it was a hard fought. And, and a bloodstained path that got us to the freedoms we experienced in the West for the last 230-odd years. But we haven't had these freedoms historically. This is a bit of an aberration as far as history is concerned. It was the separation of church and state. It was actually the principles of, you know, love to God and love to our fellow man and knowing that government can only really um, in, in, enact laws based on the second table of stone. What I mean by that is our relationship to one another and guarantee our freedoms. We see now that they've moved away from that and uh, their responsibility to actually protect everybody's freedoms, including the minorities, has been taken away from us. 
But there's more than that. There's a spiritual dimension to it because they are attacking the Christian worldview and our witness for Christ and his truth. So we believe as Christians in objective truth, which is to guide our feet and, and, and illuminate our path. And as uh, I think Peter mentioned earlier, uh, we see that truth now is subjective. It's whatever is trending on Twitter at the time. It's whatever they identify as far as uh, their morality is concerned. And there's no morals. I mean, Isaiah 5.20 tells us that they'll call light, darkness light and light darkness and good evil and evil good. So everything gets reversed when you walk away from God's ideals. The thing is, we all sin and fall assured of the glory of, uh, of God. And we all need salvation. Now, whether you are woke, whether you are gay, whether you're LGBTIQ, etc., we all find ourselves in the same position until Christ redeems us and saves us. So we have a good news story for everybody, but it's got to be in the confines of the Creator God, who is the author of truth. And I always tell people when I visit churches, we are not the authors for truth. We are simply students of truth and then witnesses for it. So unless you study objective truth, which we find in the Scriptures, you will come up with your own ideals. And anywhere in history, show me anywhere in history where that's worked out well for any individual. It never has. It never worked out well for societies. You know, when the French Revolution actually rejected the word of God, and I believe uh, Revolution 11 actually deals with that scenario, uh, they actually got into what they call a reign of culture, where the guillotines were running constantly in Paris and other places, and people were fearful of themselves because they got rid of God through the legislation, and they got rid of the scriptures. And we see the same in, in, uh, in Marxism and militant Marxism as uh, espoused through um, Stalin, for example. You know, the Russians had a, state, a saying, they said, who was Adolf Hitler? Well, he was a minor dictator during the time of Joseph Stalin because Adolf killed his millions, but Joseph Stalin killed tens of millions, and they also had a reign of terror under communism. But now we see that communism has morphed into cultural Marxism, and we still see the same satanic ideology behind this movement. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own question, comment, even a critique for our conversation today as we talk about a new book called The Silencing of the Lambs. Wokeism and Cancel Culture's Attack on Christianity in Australia. Greg Bondar is our guest. You'll know Greg from our regular updates this time on a Thursday. He's from Family Voice Australia. The Reverend Dr Peter Barnes is with us too, Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church in Australia, and Etienne McClintock from Voice of the Martyrs, an advocate for the persecuted church around the world. Greg Bondar, the launch of the book is coming up on the 9th of May, and uh, no doubt you'll be preparing for that. The 9th of May, though, at the New South Wales Parliament House in Sydney, uh, that's going to be quite a significant event, isn't it? Yeah, thank you, Neil. uh, We're launching it, uh, as I said, uh, in the theatre at. It'll be uh, an hour uh, lecture and discussion on the book, and don't forget that the book has a number of wonderful authors, Neil. You know, we've got Bernard Gaynor, the Honourable Fred Nile. We've also got the Honourable Mark Latham, who's written a wonderful chapter. And um, we've got Bill Muhlenberg. So these are all contributors for the book, make it a worthwhile read uh, in terms of what the issue of wokeism and cancel culture is all about. So if you can make that uh, launch, please um, please do so. But uh, 
further details obviously available from me or, uh, or, or of course, the publisher. Uh, so familyvoice.org.au and uh, there'll be some details there. Uh, the publisher of the book is uh, is Connor Court Publishing and listeners are able to get a hold of. I imagine uh, it's already available. The launch is coming on the 9th of May, but uh, for listeners who want to buy that, they can do that uh, from their favourite online bookseller. Uh, let me just come back to something here as uh, we've got about 15 minutes remaining in our conversation uh, for listeners to join in 1-800-316-316. Something that was raised in the last segment just before the break. When we talk wokeism, it regularly plays on people's better motivations, uh, compassion and desires for justice. And uh, Peter Barnes, if I come to you on this, uh, the thought that when people's uh, compassion is being called on, uh, we're the ones, aren't we, as Christians, that usually call on people's compassion. And justice issues have been at the heart of what Christians have been about in reform down through the centuries. So when something like this comes along, it's hard for Christians sometimes to actually see what's going on where. How do you make sense of the fact that, uh, that wokeism uh, appeals to the compassion in people's hearts, uh, that there are victims here that need to be listened to and supported? Any thoughts here from you, Peter Barnes? Uh, yeah, virtually all sins will dress themselves up uh, in uh, a more acceptable dress, won't they? That's the way it works. Uh, we don't get too many people who get up and say, well, uh, this morning I feel uh, like I need to assassinate yeah, you know, hundred people and go out and commit as many atrocities as I as I uh, uh, can can fit into the day. That's not the way it works. It's uh, sin is slide. Uh, we do the wrong thing, but dress it up as the right thing. Uh, Anti discrimination and impartiality. I use the the traditional English translation of, of, for, for impartiality. Sounds like anti-discrimination it sounds like it's the same thing but you have to see the whole picture to see it's not the same thing uh, so you know love and mercy and compassion that they're, they're all things uh, but you know strength through joy is a good slogan isn't it but um you know it was on the the labor camps in, the, in nazi germany the uh the the transport company that used to pick up uh, pe- people to take them to to the death camps was the charitable transport company in the 1930s. Uh, so it was be, it was being used in this horrendous euthanasia program, uh, but it was the charitable transport company. That's the way sin always works. There's always a veneer of goodness and uh, attractiveness about it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be attracted to it. Greg Bonder, there's a challenge here, isn't there? Because uh, you want Christians to recognise the difference, as Peter Barnes is so beautifully describing there. But uh, that's not an easy thing. You've got to keep chipping away and uh, you've got to keep uh, uh, debating these sorts of things, even on a political level. Yeah, look, now the problem we've got is that wokeism has developed its own view of reality with its own set of values and narratives. Now, once you get into that realm, it puts us Christians and the general secular society, indeed, under an obligation to defend yourself. Because 
we have in particular Christians, we have our own morals, our own guidance. For me, it's a biblical guidance. Uh, but once you start to develop your own values and narratives, you're going to have to start defending yourself because a lot of these people who prof- profess to be woke and, uh, and, and support cancel culture really make themselves out to be the victims when it's the other way around now. Eddie and McClintock, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, wonderful organisation uh, supporting and advocating for the persecuted church around the world. And there are more than 300 million people right now, even as we speak, who are under authoritarian regimes, under persecution. The future, under the sorts of things we're talking about today, a woke cancel culture, uh, I suspect we'd be heading for persecution. I'd love to hear from you on this issue. Yeah, we've been seeing the storm clouds forming on the horizon here in Australia for quite a few years now. Uh, many laws have been passed. We specifically think even of laws in Victoria now where under certain circumstances it's not even lawful for you to pray with someone, even if they're struggling with their sexual identity and ask for prayer or even ask for counselling. So uh, that's quite a challenge for us. And look, that sounds like bad news, but the interesting thing is that the curious thing in all of this is Jesus predicted persecution. And once you see persecution in the Scripture, it's everywhere. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, is hardly 10 verses into that uh, into that discourse, uh, and he already talks about, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about it later as well. And then also the, uh, the apostles, they all speak about persecution. And even Jesus, um, you know, last words to his disciples that night he was arrested. And from John chapter 13 onwards there, there's a lot of emphasis on persecution, persecution by the world and even persecution within uh, um, sp- uh, religious bodies. So persecution is actually the ideal environment for Christianity to flourish, believe it or not. Uh, now, we don't want to hear that because we've enjoyed such great freedoms for such a long time in Western societies. But I think that is coming to an end. And the reason why we're actually losing that is because perhaps we haven't quite been the salt and we haven't quite been the light that Christ has asked us to be. I think we've got pretty salty within the church. We've been pretty salty when we're preaching to the choir. But it's really the world that needs that. And quite often, you know, I've seen it and I've experienced it myself. You know, we err on the side of caution when there's a potential conflict, when someone has a different worldview and they express it and they do that very loudly. We sometimes, as Christians, will withdraw and say, well, look, I won't get into any controversy. Maybe I'll just be an influence and then try and persuade them at another time. But the other time may never come. And so it's time for us to actually stand up, to be a witness for Christ and his truth, to be loving and lovable Christians, you know, not to go mad like some of the people on the other side with the hatred, but to do it from a principle of love, which is the principle of God's kingdom. So that, that's our view. You know, we see that around the world where people are being marginalized just simply because they're being a witness for Christ. But the same thing has happened here in Australia and is already happening. We are opening our talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own insight, a question, a comment, even a critique. Let's take a call. Aaron is in Roma in Queensland. Hi, Aaron. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Thank you for taking my call. Hello, gentlemen. Um, I've been listening to you guys talk and I was just wondering if this idea of cancel cancel culture and wokeism could be simplified to the removal of the notion of sin in someone's life. Because if you remove the notion that I'm not sinful anymore, all of a sudden all of the moral choices um, all come back to, well, what do I feel is right? That sense of justice without a code. 
I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that. Let me go to the Reverend Dr Peter Barnes on this, removing the notion that sin is bad. Uh, thoughts here from you, Peter, for Aaron? Uh, you're exactly right, Aaron. Uh, if there's no such thing as sin, of course it's all connected to uh, there's no such thing as a holy God, no such thing as God's holy law. Uh, there's actually no such thing as forgiveness either. Um, you'll notice that there's apologies everywhere these days, but there's no forgiveness. Um, and all these things are connected. The, the Christian view faces the reality of sin, but it also has an answer to it. Uh, and, and and that's been taken away. And uh, or and in some cases, plenty of churches have just dropped it too. They've gone, gone along with the culture. Uh, so you've put your finger right on the problem that there's no notion of sin and therefore... Uh, All these consequences have flowed from that. Wonderful stuff. Aaron, good contribution. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Greg Bondar, let me come to you because in some of the context by which we've come to understand how wokeism and cancel culture works, it's in this attack on Christian schools. Uh, The thought that, you know, you won't be able to hire the staff that are in agreement with the ethos of the school. All sorts of controversies around that, but... That's only one step away, if the government were to control Christian schooling like that, one step away from government control over the church. Is that something that concerns you at all? It certainly does. I think that there are indications that, uh, you know, if we allow wokeism and cancel culture to proliferate, you know, in, in this society, what we're going to be getting to is a stage where it's already happening. We won't be able to speak about the Bible. You won't be able to preach the Bible. You won't be able to speak in your church. And what's happening is really that we are being told what we can and can't say. So cancel culture really, Neil, is a forest fire. It always needs fuel. And so what it's trying to do is, you know, the next attack, I can tell you now, in my opinion, will be the church. As I said, It'll be Christians, the church, Christianity. That's where cancel culture and wokeism is headed, and I think we need to be prepared. So governments will play along if there's a vote in doing so, Neil. Eddie and McClintock, uh, a storm cloud forming. You said that when we were talking about the possibility of persecution here in Australia, and uh, we'd see that uh, by a way of a coercive authoritarian government uh, wanting to have the church under its thumb. How do you prepare for such a time that may be on the horizon? Is there something here in the issues of the heart uh, we might need to be adjusting in our own thoughts about what's coming ahead? Well, it's interesting. If There's lots of examples in, in the Bible of what Christians do under those circumstances. You know, we've got a law in Victoria now where if you pray for someone, if they've requested it, uh, you may end up in prison. Depending on how severe the so-called injury is, it could be five or ten years in prison with uh, fines up to a hundred to two hundred thousand for individuals, or even five hundred thousand to a million for a corporate body. So, uh, what do we do? Well, we look at the example of uh, the Book of Acts, Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and they they preach. There's three thousand people converted in the day and baptized. But if you keep on reading, you see there that they are threatened by those and saying, "Don't say anything in the name of Jesus anymore." They threaten them, they release them. Next time what they do is they actually capture them, they beat them, throw them in prison. And uh, then uh, an angel comes, releases them, and they go back to the temple in, and, and preach. 
But one of the things they do there in chapter 4 of Acts is that they pray that God will give them boldness and a resolve to continue to be a witness for Christ. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit in chapter 4 is poured out on the people again, and then they go with boldness and they proclaim the gospel of Christ. So what we need is the Holy Spirit to embolden our our witness for Christ. Um, you know, the, the Bible tells us here, I think it's in First John chapter 4, I think it was 18, 19, somewhere around there, that a perfect love casts out fear. Now, quite often we are fearful when we consider the consequences. Sometimes for intimidation, our witness could be shut down. Sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes it goes to economic boycott or threat of imprisonment or fines. But ultimately, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our life. And the first one I mentioned there is love. It's the agape of God. It's a self-sacrificing love. And that is the love that actually casts out fear and will give us a bold witness. And in countries where people are persecuted for being a witness for Christ, we simply find that people are um, emboldened by this love for God and their fellow man. And uh, we need that same kind of love so we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Greg Bonda, just running short of time now, just a couple of minutes for our conversation. Uh, the widespread effect of the silencing of the lambs uh, is that people, ordinary Christians, people listening to our conversation today uh, may have a fear of being hauled before an anti-discrimination tribunal. How do you think uh, the way we look at that fear ought to be addressed? And uh, I guess this is something that grows in us, a certain level of courage, but what are your thoughts here for the effects of what's going on right now? Yeah, Neil, I think there is a threat and uh, a lot of people have said to me they refuse to or are very reluctant to talk in the public arena about the issues of Christianity for the fear of being cancelled. One of the things we've got to realise is that we need to make sure that we display our faith in the public square. Neil, it's very important, and and I'm encouraged by Proverbs 17, 15, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent God dislikes both. So if we can bear that in mind, God will be on your side. And I think it's important, but not only as as Christians, I think we need to, as human beings, as mums and dads, we've got to make sure that we speak out and we've got to make sure that we're out there displaying our faith without fear. And I think, Neil, the best way to do that is by really, one, of course, praying, and secondly, being what you are, make sure that you display your faith in the public arena without fear or favour. And I think, Neil, that's so important. So Proverbs 7 and 15 is a great encouragement to me. <clears throat> OK, time has run out for our conversation. It's almost news time. The book we're talking about is called The Silencing of the Lambs, Wokeism and Cancel Culture's Attack on Christianity in Australia. There are a lot of contributing authors. The editor of the book is Greg Bondar from Family Voice Australia. Our guests this past hour have been Greg Bondar, the Reverend Dr Peter Barnes, the Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church in Australia. Our wonderful privilege. Thank you so much, Peter. And to Etienne McClintock, who works with Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you so much for your contribution too. Uh, Now, the launch is on the 9th of May at New South Wales Parliament House in Sydney. You can get the book at online bookstores. It's published by Connor Court. You can connect with Connor Court at connorcourtpublishing.com.au but simply Google The Silencing of the Lambs, Wokeism and Cancel Culture's Attack on Christianity in Australia. You'll be able to get that wherever you are listening right around Australia. Uh, To the three of you gentlemen, thank you so much for taking part in today's conversation. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.